This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. For an entire generation, people have experienced Star Wars, the only way it's been possible, on the TV screen. But if you've only seen it this way, you haven't seen it at all. This is where the fun begins. Chewing. We're home. Hello there. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Blue Milk Cafe. Grab an empty stool at the counter, order a cup of Jawa juice and a nice slice of Yogan fruit pie, and get ready because we're about to talk all things Star Wars. Good morning, Masaspa, and welcome back into the cafe. This is episode 151. I am your host, Jeff. 152. 152. See, I just checked that before we started recording, and I still got it wrong. And this is RFD. But that's why I have a co-host now to help me correct things when I say something wrong. So, yeah, 152. We're not going to do 151 again. Uh, 152, we are doing... Season 2 of The Mandalorian, but we decided with this one, since there was so much in Season 2 of The Mandalorian, we're going to go episode by episode. So this week, we are doing Chapter 9 of Season 2, which was the premiere of Season 2, The Marshal. Yep, November of 2019, going way, way back. Yep. And just... Remembering back to this one, I do remember loving the opening scene of this one with basically uh, MMA in the Star Wars universe. Pretty much, and we don't know as of yet where in the galaxy this took place, because it was about two, two weeks ago or so, there's a new book that's out now. It's kind of set to be released coming up on December 5th, but somehow or other with publishing shenanigans, it's also out in the world. It's called Dawn of the Rebellion. That's taking a look at pretty much including things that folks wanted visual guides for the Book of Boba and Andor, maybe a little bit of Ahsoka. There's a new updated galaxy map that now shows us places that we've been wondering since Season one of Mando, where these places in the galaxy are. Like Mount of Greece, which is coming up in Chapter 10. Um, where Avala 7 is. Where Dayu from Kenobi is. A lot of these different places we now see where in the galaxy they are. There's a few that they missed. But, right. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, this opening scene. 
Oh my goodness, the two Gamorians just going at it, and these are the two. I guess I want to say buffest. They're more gladiator-like. Yeah, Gamorians I've ever seen. Of course, we didn't book a Boba Fett didn't exist yet, and mm. the Gamorians he had in there were pretty, you know, in shape. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was pretty interesting to watch. I really like the weapons they were using too. But yeah. I'm not quite sure if they're vibro axes. I kinda wanna say they are because you can see there's um They kind of vibrate they are vibrating. Okay, then they gotta be vibro axes. I was about to say, because I do have the scene up right now and yeah, you can see the shock waves and stuff when they hit together. Mm-hmm. And when they're just holding them, you can see them vibrating in their hand. Yeah, Mando takes the child with him into this underground fight club. And on the way to it, he's passing through what looks like an abandoned city of some sort. And there's graffiti all over the place. Arabesh everywhere. And it shows different characters that we're kind of familiar with. Yeah, even in my in my way back listening, folks looking at those walls, and we see red glowy eyes. That yeah, not quite certain what those are. And a couple of the speculations that I've heard in my way back listening, one that kind of makes sense, but it ain't confirmed for sure, is few folks and podcast friends think these are fear knocks. We see them in Rebels when they go back to an abandoned Republic outpost on an axis to get some abandoned supplies. And I want to say it's Heron and Sabine get attacked by Fearnox. And they have the same kind of red glowy eyes. They won't come out into light or sunlight. They don't come out into the light. That's why the street lights are there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Off. yeah, but see him going into this, this underground like you said, pretty much kind of fight club. <clears throat> yeah, Mando's on the on hunt for other Mandalorians in the galaxy. Right. So he goes to visit this fella, and Abyssin, we see an Abyssin in A New Hope in the cantina. It's a short little squat, one-eyed fella. Yeah. See here, folks kind of yeah, relate, the boss. Kind of to a, a Cyclops. Yeah, he's an Abyssin. From Bis, which is a coral world planet, and apparently he's a crime boss. Yeah, and he kind of tries to talk Mando. He's got the information, but he wants his Beskar armor. Yep, and he said, "Over my dead body." More. Yeah, I figured you'd say that. <laughs> so. Yeah, and the, the kid sees what's up whenever he oh, acts that his van brace on his on his right forearm. <laughs> and face the whistling birds and yeah. he shuts himself up tight in his pram. <laughs> Got a chuckle out of that when that just mm-hmm. happened there. Yeah, he knows what's happening there, what's gonna go down. Yep, he, when he sees that he, he knows what his dad's about to do. Mm-hmm. So And he he takes everybody out but Gore Koresh and then oh the shenanigans begin. The one lone Gamorian in the ring tries this nice swan dive that Mando 
Like as we sidesteps and the Gamorian ends up taking out a table. Right. There's there's some wrestling for you there. Mm-hmm. And then the Twi'lek Dorman is there. He's a really we've never seen a Twi'lek like this. He's really dark skin, dark purple skin. And there's also an Iridonian Zabrak. There's two different types of Zabraks that we're familiar with. The Sort of browner or darker skinned ones are from Dathomir, like Maul and Savage Press. But Iridon Zabrax, we've seen one previously in Attack of the Clones. They're very lighter skinned and their horns are a lot shorter. There's also one from season one when Din goes back to Sorgan to collect up Karadun and she's fighting an Iridonian Zabrak in that common house. Very light-skinned with short horns. Yeah, they're, the, the Twi'lek and the, the, that Zabrak kind of having to go at Din, and he ends up taking them both out. And then we see Gore Koresh making for the door like a bat out of hell, thinking he's going to get out of there and, and get away. But that's yeah. not quite enough neither. Yeah. Now, man yes. there and takes him takes him down with his, his grappling cable right around the ankles, strings him up to a post light light post. Right. And he finally gets uh Gore tells him the Mandalorian that he's heard of is on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And Din's like, I've been to Tatooine plenty, I don't know of any Mandalorian on Tatooine. Nope. And he tell he says I, I Swear to you that he's on Tatooine, uh, Moss Pelgo, and so, and then of course he begs him not to kill him, and then goes, "I promise you, you will not die by my hand." <laughs> so, but he does as he walks away. He does shoot out the street light that he's hanging from. So, mm-hmm. you can't leave me here," <laughs> he said. Right. That weren't part of the deal. Yep, and Mando did keep his word. Mm-hmm. He's not going to die by his hand. So, but yep. Yeah, he yeah. got what was coming to him. He, he was willing to pay for the information, but nope. Yep, and yeah. So then we head to Tatooine, and this entire episode then takes place on a very familiar planet. Of Tatooine, mm-hmm. and when I was watching this episode, one thing in the back of my mind was all these Star Wars trolls and haters are probably like, "Oh my God, back on Tatooine again! Oh my God, the universe is bigger than just these couple planets." That just irritates the crap out of me because to me, Tatooine is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That's where it all started. That's where it all ended at the end of Rise of Skywalker. So it just it's just nice to go back there every now and then. Mm-hmm. I like seeing Tatooine. Tatooine makes me feel comfortable. So, yeah. There's so much after this. Place on Tatooine. Yeah, there's so much after this that we've still learned – from the Book of Boba, from Obi-Wan Kenobi, we've never seen Anchorhead before, and we get to see yeah. that 
Obi. We never knew that there was anything, any such thing as a sand whale or a sand ape. Right. We learned we learned what black melons are in this episode. And there's we, there's tons about Tatooine to learn. We finally saw a crate dragon instead of just a skeleton. And then just any crate dragon, it was a greater crate. Yeah. Apparently, is the larger, quite larger of the two. Right. So, yeah. And then, I mean, we when we go back to the after he stops by and sees Pelly, of course. Doctor May thirty five again. Yep. He goes into the cantina, and he walks in there, and my goodness, the bartender is a droid. Droids were not allowed in there, we thought, but it's run by droids now. And do you know you know who the voice of the droid was? Correct. Ooh, we're jumping back into season one. Now, after he goes to see Pelly, he asks if she still has that that speeder bike. The oh, one, I'm sorry. One, the, shit. The one, no, we're good. The the one that was left. Because he had two with Toro Calican and yeah, that was the gunslinger. Yeah, Fennec took took out the one that Mando was on, and she goes, "Yeah, I still have it, a little rusty, but I got it." Right. And we get to see him and the kid packed up with his Ebon face pulse blaster. Yeah. Shot on a, I think it's more a swoop than a speeder bike. And if I might be wrong, listeners, correct me. Um, yeah, you get to see him right off the top of a dune. And then we get a really good look for, been a while, we get to see the dune sea. Right. He's making his way to Mos Palgo. And this also is where it crosses over with the interlude from... The first aftermath book. There's a, a series of short stories in between the story of aftermath that shows what's going on in different spots all around the galaxy. And one of those spots, this part of the Marshall was taken from that interlude that introduced us to Cobb Band. Some of the story pretty much kind of matches up, and there's some things that are a little bit different. Right. I, yeah, going going to Mos Pelgo. Yeah, Mos Pelgo is a classic. I would say ghost town. I mean, it's not very big at all compared to Mos Eisley and Anchorhead. No, not at all. No, it's a little this little mining. It's pretty much like a mining camp of sorts. Yeah, this reminds me of. Now I'm trying to remember one of my favorite Clint Eastwood westerns, Pale Rider. Okay, Pale yeah. Riders, I believe the town in Pale Rider was only two sides of the street, buildings on two sides of the street, and that was it. And that was, that was, reminded me of that town. So, yeah, this is very small town, and this is the whole Western slash Star Wars thing that I kind of like. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, but, yeah. But yeah. If, yeah. But yeah, I I don't know how the gunslinger came into my head 
when we all do it. I do it too. There's times I can I'll be running through all this different obscure bullshit that I can think of, and then I run into the one thing, and I'm I'm just like we've done it here in the cafe in previous episodes. And one one yeah. thing, why can't I remember what the heck that is? And then later on, it'll hit me, and I'm like, why I remember it now after the fact. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It just proves that you know that this series of Mandalorian does flow quite nicely. If I'm in the middle of talking about something, and I'm thinking it's a part of the different episode. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, like Man, I said, I'll do it. Maybe it's because I just finished season one the other day, and those episodes are quite still fresh in my mind. But yeah. Yeah, when he gets to Mos Pogo, he does meet Cobb Vanth, the marshal, but... In a very interesting way, too. Yeah. He walks in, he's wearing Boba Fett's armor. And I'm, I remember the first time we were watching this and heard that him walking up to the doorway. Tell my wife, I'm like, holy crap, I said, is this where Boba Fett's coming in? And... When they pan back and they show him standing there, I'm like, that ain't Boba Fett. <laughs> I said, he, he's much too lean to be Boba Fett. Yeah, and, and armor doesn't quite fit him fit. just right. No, but walking in, him walking into that little little saloon was really neat. He walks in, and the only one in there is a lone weak way behind a bar, a little circular yep. bar. Um yeah, and he asks him what he's what he's there for, and he says, "Looking for." I'm told there's a Mandalorian here, and he said, "Well, we don't get many visitors. Can you describe them?" And what's really neat about this is you said that some of Moss Palga to you feels like Pale Rider. I can also, for me, I can definitely absolutely see that. Um, also reminds me of Deadwood. Okay. Because there are, oh, Deadwood is, it's really, really good. It takes, takes place during the gold rush years in the Dakotas. It's kind of fictionalized, but they're, they're, they, they put it in a period of things that actually happen. There's two characters that are in there that also take part in the making of the marshal, and one of them is this weekly bartender that also was a bartender in Deadwood, and the actor that plays him is, is W. Earl Brown. Okay. Who also happens to be, he's about our age, and happens to be a bit of a nerd, too. Yeah, he, they, Lucasfilm asked him aboard and got him all fitted up into that weekly makeup and costume. And then he says, can you describe him? And and then says, someone who looks like me. Right. He, looks, he says, oh, you mean the marshal? And he says, your, mar- your marshal wears Mandalorian armor? And he says, see for yourself. And he turns around, and there's Cobb standing in the doorway. Right. Looking kind of glaring. He walks up, and he says, two snorts of Spotchka. Weak way, two snorts of Spotchka. He puts a big bottle up with some spotchka in it and two tin cups. And he says, let me buy you a drink. And he walks over to the table and sits down and then turns around 
<laughs> to take a step to the table and is stopped dead in, in his tracks because Cloud Vant takes the helmet off. Yep. Which is very, Din's very taken aback by that because in his world, Mandalorians don't remove their helmets in front of other folks. Well, his, his, what do you call it, clan don't take their helmets off. Which we find, found that out too because I remember when the series first started <clears throat> and he said that people were like, but Sabine was running around without her helmet on. Bo-Katan was running around without her helmet on. You know, I, what do you mean you can't take your helmet off? Well, we found out that different clans have different, you know, beliefs, so. Yep, and it took us, what, two or three, four years to finally get to where we are now to have things brilliant kind of way of telling stories. So many folks are running when you need to be walking. Right. Just like the way Ahsoka ended. Some folks are really confused with the way it ended. It's just the beginning of the story, friends. you got to be walking. Slow down. We're getting there. The same thing happened through season one of Mando, season two, season three, Book of Boba, Kenobi, Andor, all of it. Got to slow down. Keep up with the, the speed of the story. The story's going slower than what some folks are wanting it to do. Yeah. And that's, I mean, mentioning Ahsoka again, that's one of the complaints I, I've heard listening to different other Star Wars podcasts and mm -hmm. their, you know, their takes on the series. They were saying how it was slow paced, how the first two or three episodes were very slow. And I went back and rewatched the series a couple weeks ago. And I was like, what the heck were they watching? Mm -hmm. I didn't find it slow or going, oh, my God, this is Dragon. I didn't find it slow at all. So I don't know what they were watching or what they were expecting. But the pacing wasn't slow to me. I guess I don't find the pacing slow in much of anything that's Star Wars. It's it's the way the story like you always say, it's the way the storyteller is telling the story. Mm -hmm. And some yeah. things you need some backstory on, some things you need to know about in order to move the story forward. Like when Cobb bringing it back to the Mandalorian, the way Cobb and Mando as they were riding towards where the he said he knew where the crate dragon lived as they were speeding towards there Cobb tells him the story of what happened to Mos Pelga and we yeah is, is that something that they could have cut out in my opinion no I would like to know what happened to it he said it was a vibrant you know mining community and mm -hmm. I was, like I said it's basically a ghost town well now he's telling the story of what happened Right after the second Death Star, it, you know, taken over. So, yeah. Then he, we also see how he got the armor. That's one thing I was like, first thing uh, when I saw it the first time, I told my wife, I'm like, now how'd he get that armor? Did he strip it off of Boba Fett himself? Was he outside the, did he see him escape the Sarlacc? Did he do, you know, what? how'd he mm -hmm. get it? So... We found out how we got it, so. 
Yeah, yeah that's just the way the storytellers tell the story. Sit back, relax, and enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah, pacing is something never concerns me. I hear lots of chatter about it. But, yeah, th that ended up being told in two slightly different ways. Um, in the interludes, it's Cobb Van is meeting up with uh, a representative from the mining guild by the name of Adwin Charu. Okay. Wanting to get in with a group of Jawas for the, the really good goodies that they got, weapons and the like and stuff, instead of just the out front stuff that he ain't got an interest in. And Cobb tells him, well, you got to start slow. Buy, buy something small and then work your way bigger. And as you start to gain their trust, then they'll start to show you what they really got. And he gets to talking with the Jawas and, and gets into the sand crawler where some of the really good, good stuff is. And Adwin sees this box of pitted, corroded Mandalorian armor and says he's taking it with him. And Cobb straight up, he puts Adwin down with a shot to the shoulder and says, nope, I'm taking this armor for myself. But in the Marshal, it ends up being, yeah, the, the mining collective shows up, and it's not the Red Key Raiders. These folks are wearing blue armor. So maybe yeah. it's the Raiders? We ain't told straight up. Yeah. They come in, and they pretty much enslave Moss Pelgo, but then makes it to the to the weak way, who's hunkered down behind one of the tables, and we later on learn that his name is Tonti, and helps him get it, make his way out of the, the cantina, and Cobb makes a dive out as some of Mos Palgo's folks are trying to get away from the cantina, and some don't make it, and he swipes a cantono out of their speeder and puts out to the the wastelands. Wander around for days, no food, no water, just that, just that Cantona. He has no clue what's in it and ends up getting picked up by some Jawas. And they give him a water skin and crack open the Cantona to find that it's full of Silatax crystals. Don't know quite rightly what they are, but apparently they're a value of some because the Jawas want them. They look nice. <laughs> yeah, they do. Neat little purple, purpley look glowing things. So they offer them weapons, they offer them an astromech droid, all this different stuff. And then Cobb's kind of glancing around, and he sees off in the one wall, he sees Mandalorian armor. Yeah. A bucket and the chest plates. Just pointed at it. The van braces and one of the two knee rocket darts. Yeah, and he's pointing at that as he's open down water and it turns up that he's got the armor and he goes back to Mos Pelgo and takes out the mining collective runs them straight out of town pretty much does them in we get to even see yeah. what we daydreamed as kids with that prototype Boba Fett with the oh, rocket launcher yeah we get to see this in, in Real time, Cobb takes him out with that the missile launcher on the, on the backpack. Right. Oh, we did 
jump a little bit ahead, what's, what happens with uh, Ben wanting the armor from Cobb? Oh, it, oh, yeah. It belongs to a Mandalorian, and he ain't a Mandalorian. He shouldn't be wearing it. Right. It comes right down to a face-off in the cantina, and Cobb's like, we're doing this here in front of the kid? He's seen worse. He's seen worse, yeah. And then it's who's who's going to be the quicker to draw because right. we're just introduced to Cobb. We know about him now. He's he's a mite plenty fast, but the whole thing gets busted up. There's something on out, some kind of rocks going on outside, and Cobb puts a finger up. He's like, "We'll get back to this." And they both walk to the door, and. We see the windmills going bananas outside, and folks are making a run for indoors. And with the first time I, I just heard this described in, in one of my waybacks is where the, the, the sand actually looks like water. It looks yes, like it's not what an ocean would look like. Yep, there's a crate dragon making its way straight down the main thoroughfare of Mos Pelga. And we don't outrightly get to see it. It's kind of like um, Jaws. You know there's a shark there, but you only ever get to see the fin. We get to see the same thing with some of the the spines and scales on the back of the crate. It takes out a bantha. And Cobb makes the proposal to Din. He wants to take out the crate dragon. He sticks he sticks around to help him do that. He'll give him the armor back. Yep. Then takes him up on it. Deal. Sure. Why not? Okay. Sure. Nah. Yeah, I totally skipped over that part. No, nope, we got. <laughs> but jumping back to where we were, they when they get to, I guess the rocky. The rocks and stuff there, they run into. Now I don't know what the sand people call their. I guess their dogs. They're massives. Massives. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they run into them, and Din kind of shocks Cobb by saying, "One second, I got this." Mm-hmm. He walked out and he sweet talked them and started petting them. And then around the corner, Tuscan Raider comes. And Cobb again. What the heck's going on? He talks to them and end up going back to their camp to find out that, hey, the Tuscans want this thing dead too. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to help us. Cobb really doesn't like it too much. But, you know, then finally puts his foot down like, like an angry parent. And said, hey, we're not going to get anything done if we argue amongst ourselves. So they end up agreeing and they go to, do they, yeah, they go check out the layer of the crate dragon first. Mm-hmm. Just them two. Try to devise a plan. And as they were devising the plan, they had these bones set up in the sand with little pebbles marking them as the Tuscan Raiders and Din and Cobb 
And he goes, where are those little things? He goes, those are us. He goes, can't be. He goes, it's too big. <laughs> he goes, no, I think it's the scale. So he goes, well, we're going to need more help. And that's when Din lets Cobb know. He goes, I volunteered your village. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, now we got to... Now, the job falls on Cobb going back to the village and trying to convince the people there to help. Yeah, they weren't having it at first. Right. Saying that the Tuscans attacked them, stole their water. So Cobb kind of straight out explains it to him that, you know, this here's a Mandalorian and they're good at killing and he's willing to help us if we also agree to help let the Tuscans help us. And then says that they've struck a peace and that the Tuscans will leave them alone. If they leave the Tuscans alone, so long as they'll leave them alone, so long as none of them breaks the peace from Moth Talia. So everybody's now on board. Still kind of shaky a bit, because now the Tuscans are alive. Also, we get to see that they show up riding in single file, as Tuscans are known to do. Right. So they start, yep, they start loading up Banthas with all the mining explosives that Moth Talia's got to, got to give. And Tuscans are in with the villagers, passing along explosives to load onto the Banthas. One of the Tuscans accidentally slips on one of the explosives and drops it, and a villager kind of flips out on him and says, what are you doing? You're going to blow us all up. And gets called to get in the middle of it right quick to say it was an accident. You get that fellow on board. Before everything falls apart. And goes right back to everybody, gets everybody back in place, starting to help, and Cobb walks back over beside Mando and said, Oh, it's, it's gonna be great. Yeah. Yep. Which it is. So, yeah. now everybody, everybody mounts up, a whole lot of them, a lot of the villagers, and all the Tuscans, and Ben and Cobb, on your bikes, heading out to the crate cave. And the Tuscans got these really neat, big, speared catapults set up. There's like four or five of them. And then three Tuscans make their way to the mouth of the cave and do that classic Tuscan yell to wake it up. And they put out back to a run because, yeah, they woke it up and that thing's mighty sore. And they got right before they went to wake it up. They dug a big long trench that the Tuscans are fairly certain the most vulnerable spot on it is its belly. Right. So they plant a whole long trench and cover it up with all the explosives that they brought in. And some still, some still in reserve. So they, they get it to come out, and it's not out quite far enough, and Cobb's really itching to 
hit the detonator and, and then keeps holding them off. It's, it's not all the way out yet. We got to get it out further and out further. Right. So that, yeah, at first, they ain't got it quite angry enough yet. So it starts putting back into the cave. Then everybody starts making a mad rush at it, throwing detonators, firing off slug throwers, everything they got to get this thing to come out. And sure enough, they prodded enough that it really starts coming out. Yeah, yeah. These crossbows that these Tuscans have are pretty awesome looking, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they start spearing it with ropes attached to it. And at, at first, before they draw it out the second time, they're all running to it, grabbing the lines that, that the, the spear catapults. And the the crate just drags them all along with it. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm just sitting here just floored like, this thing is going gonna to wipe them all out, ain't it? But it don't. They get it stirred up and prodded enough that it really makes a charge for them. And it does, it spits out this kind of acid that some folks are trying to figure, is it, is it acid from its stomach or what is this thing? It, it outright melts a good handful of Tuscans and some of the villagers. Right. Just disintegrates them straight up. And then it's really on the move now because then it goes nose first back underground and puts everybody on their butts. And then they're looking around and they're like, where is this thing at? And it makes its way to top one of the, the mountaintops above the cave, mouth of the cave and comes busting straight out of the rock. So Din and Cobb get straight to it. Jet packs up and they go rocket straight up to along the, the, the top of the mountain and start laying into the eye that crate and gets it pretty pissed off enough that it goes to take a, a chunk out of the rock that they're on, but they jet back down off of there and then it goes back and disappears again. Everybody's looking around and it turns up coming right out of the hillside, right behind them. So they make another run for it and it takes another sweep at them with that acid, takes out another handful of Tuscans and villagers. I think it's Din or Din or Taunty that said that it's picking us all off. We got to get to this. So Din rockets over. He he hands the detonator to Cobb. He says, "What are you going to do?" He says, "I don't know, but wish me luck." And you're going to have to look at the kid, which has Cobb absolutely floored. And he hits the he hits his jetpack. And sends him rocketing off and, and then makes for the bantha that's at the mouth of the cave that's loaded with explosives. And he gets to it and the crate sees that he's over there because it's keeping an eye on everything that's moving. That's what it's going to go attack. So anything that's moving. They tried it earlier with getting its attention when they were first scouting it out and, uh, Tuscan, a lone raider, takes a bantha to the mouth of the cave to wake it up and try to offer it that bantha so they keep feeding it, which makes it sleep longer. But that Tuscan takes to running when he wakes it up, and we all thought it was going to eat that bantha, but it didn't. It went after the raider because the bantha wasn't moving, and the raider was. So that's how he knew to tuck it out. 
Now, the crate's coming straight at Din. Yep. It gobbles up him and the bantha. And then everybody's floored because they think, oh, geez. The one fellow who put this all together, yeah, he's done gone. Yeah. The crate is up. Yep, that's a series. It's over. But that weren't how this rightfully turned out because, nope, he, it comes busting back out from underground, out of the mouth of the cave again. This thing gets around. Yeah. And we still didn't get to see the entire thing because this thing is massive. Yeah, it, it, it comes busting up out from under the ground and then... We see it, it's perturbed in some sort of way. It yeah. spits now, and we can see that he's, he used to even his, his face pulse blaster rifle to electrocute it from the inside. Because when it spits him out, you can see uh, the same thing it did to that Ravenac that was trying to take the razor crust down. He spits it in out. He comes rocketing up, and as he's heading up, you can see he's got the detonator. And he punches punches the button on it, and this big shock wave just blows the thing apart. And they they did it. They put it down, and yep. everybody's cheering and whooping and hollering, Tuscans and villagers, and everybody's congratulating one another. I've split that meat up. Yep. <laughs> you get to see part of the rib cage. It's all blown apart. We we'll go. A little while later, and the Tuscans are deep in the middle of the thing, hacking it apart, and they got a good supply of meat for a long spell. Even Din gets a fair share of it. He's got a big, big hunk of it that he's wrapping up and, and tying to the back of the speeder bike. As along with um, the armor that Cobb Vance has, he walks over to thank Mando again, and he hands him the helmet. And he also says, you explain to your people that I wasn't the one that broke that, meaning from when Ben <laughs> smacked the jetpack to, to yeah. set the rocket and off the safety. Right. And they did they also with, find a pearl or something like that inside this thing? Yes, they did. There's a thing that was floating around in Legends for a long time that a lot of folks were absolutely thrilled with. That Yeah, inside the belly of a great dragon is a crate pearl, and it happens to be one of the Tuscan females, warriors, that finds it, picks it up all bloody, and puts it up above her head, and sends all the Tuscans into this. Their classic, yep, they're celebrating that they found the pearl. And Din drives off, and we... This is where we see someone with a um, gaffy stick in front of the twin sons and is watching Ding go by. Mm-hmm. And of course, he turns around and it's Boba. So right then and there, we knew we're like, okay, it was it most likely was him that found um, Fennec. He did survive the Sarlacc. You know, are we going to find out, you know, how he did that? Well, we really don't find that out until 
we get the book of Boba Fett, but mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. Boba is is aware that Din has his armor. And right there is when I ate a couple platefuls of crow. Because <laughs> I was dead certain that Boba was done, gone, weren't never coming back. And right. weren't the first time that Arfie was wrong. Yeah, I I was saying it previously that no, Boba Fett's dead. He ain't ever coming back. Well, right. shows you what I know. I mean, yeah, we saw that Cobb had his armor, and some people, you know, you could have thought right then and there, well, he survived somehow because he went in the Sarlacc with that armor. Well, we don't know. Maybe the Jawas knew how to kill a Sarlacc, killed it, found the armor inside the Sarlacc, took it. Who knows? But, yeah, I, I was one of the ones that, Kinda, because I I was always a Boba Fett fan. I know some fans are like, he's overrated, this and that. But, nah, I always found him cool. Um, And I was a Boba Fett fan. Yeah, in the back of my mind, I was hoping, like, well, digest for over a thousand years. So, there's still a chance he could have gotten out. He's wearing that armor. Maybe that's going to protect him from the stomach acid who knows but yeah I was always hoping he, he escaped but yeah I was saying but m- m- more than likely he, he's done and gone but I was proven wrong as you were that mm-hmm. he was alive and I, I was happy to see him I was like this is going to get good because are we going to get to see Din and Boba fight over the armor is Din just going to go, yeah, you know, here you go. It, it's yours. But no, you know, he, Boba had to prove to him that, hey, that was my father's. Yes, my father. Uh, here's, here's, yeah, he showed him his chain code. That was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be coming up. That'll yeah, be coming that up. Chapter... 14, I want to say. Yeah. yeah. The tragedy. Yeah, that'll turn up in a few more, a little bit later on in a few weeks. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, this, like we said, this season has so much packed into it that we just decided, hey, we're just going to go episode by episode. That way it actually gives me a little bit of time to mm-hmm. watch these episodes because I really didn't get a chance to rewatch season two, being that I just finished rewatch season one, season one a couple of days ago, and we already did our episode on season one, so I was going up just winging that one. So, yeah, and not, next week will be chapter ten, the passenger. Mm-hmm. But the, chapter eleven, the one after that, was one of my favorite episodes because we get to see a return of one of my favorite Mandalorians of all time. And I'm pretty sure everyone can guess who it is, but we'll talk about that when we get there. So, but yeah, I think, you know, we got through the Marshall. Mm-hmm. I think we did it. Yep. I think we did it here. So any other thing 
things on your mind that you want to say here before we get out of here? Oh, just listening to my way back into season two right now. Just love the idea of this is a, that was a time back in 2020 when most folks were still kind of just going in and watching with just eyes of wonder of what all next knew was coming and not being so nitpicky and critical over stuff. Just kind of very much enjoying hearing all of that. Exactly. I, yeah, I I know what you mean. I've been every now and then when I run out of fresh stuff to listen to, I'll go back to, oh, wow. I, I went back to, I believe it was right after the force awakens came out Mm -hmm. and Jason and Carl of the Wampas layer were doing their episode about seeing it for the first time. I love going back and listening to that. That was, like you said, it was just all the like excitement and wonder and even the speculation going back even a couple episodes before that when we were getting the trailers and then doing their trailer breakdown and, you know, speculating. It's so fun to go back and hear what we were thinking back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And seeing how either right we were or how wrong we were. So, and believe me, I was more wrong than right. So, but was I upset that I was more wrong than right? No. I know some fans are. You know, when they're wrong, they're, they they take it personally and they say it's, oh, it ruined it because they didn't do this or that. But no, they don't, you know, that's why we always say in here, try to, you know, go in with very low expectations. Just go in, pretend you're a kid again, and go in and just enjoy the wonderment that's Star Wars and you know maybe hopefully you'll enjoy it more absolutely yeah don't let your expectations get ahead of you don't hold on them too tightly because like I I say it a lot it won't be the storyteller letting it down it'll be you doing it to yourself don't do that yeah and I have to look at every Star Wars project I, I go in like I'm a kid again watching it for the first time and believe me my wife can testify to it. She sees me sitting here watching these things for the first time. Wide eyes. Sometimes my, you know, jaw just drops, you know, and she goes, she goes, so this is the way it was when you were a kid. I said, I guess pretty much. I said, it's, it's so long ago. I said, it's starting to get fuzzy, but yeah. And I said, I remember being just like blown away. So, but yeah. If you're able to do that, do it, and I guarantee you'll enjoy it more. Um, podcast recommendation for the week. Yeah. Um, let's see. They're still going at it for where we at now. I think that Albert will have been doing this for what's going on 12 years, the Cantina cast. Uh, it was Albert and Chris Jones, Jonesy, all Jonesy. Took a step back, uh, 
few months ago. Just uh, kind of be floating around behind the scenes. He's still there, but he's not behind the mic. So Albert's taking one of their big longtime Patreon supporters, Miss Lauren, and still having to go around with their shorter Sunday episodes called The Way Station, where Albert dives into whatever all news is going on. And then on Thursdays, their main show. I think they're doing High Republic. Yeah, so if you're looking for some Star Wars listening, look up the Cantina cast. Tell them where he sent you. Yeah. Another another one that's been around forever. So, yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's hard to believe, you know, you just said, what, 12 years? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm still blown away by that, but tell you the truth, I don't even know. I would have to scroll back through the feed, through the cafe's feed, and see what year I dropped the first episode. I don't even know how long I've been doing it. I want to say it was 18, maybe, 2018. Wow. And, of course, I was doing it a year or so before then, even, with the Canto cast with Tristan, which I kind of miss doing. But like I keep saying, Tristan is just out of college and he's, you know, doing what all kids do when they're, you know, that age. Running around, having fun, exploring the world. So, and he he's had some great opportunities to go places. Like I said, I think, I'm not sure if he's still in Japan or not, but I heard he was going over there for a while. So, but hopefully... I can hit him up here on Facebook Messenger or something because that's where I keep in contact with him and through text messaging and hit him up and hit Jason, my buddy Jason out in Pittsburgh up and see if we could all get back together and do a Canto cast maybe reunion here soon and just sit down, shoot shoot it and see what we've been up to and what everyone thought about the new Star Wars. So. Yeah, there's a lot to go over. Yeah, so hopefully, like I said, I'm working on that. I haven't texted Tristan in a while, but because, like I said, I think last time he told me he was going to be over in Japan most of the summer. Now, I know it's November, so maybe he's back, but I'll have to shoot him here at Texas weekend and see how he's been doing. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to believe that I've been doing it that this long but yeah but 12 did, years wow I did just pull it up in my pods library uh-huh. um for whatever reason your episode one doesn't show yeah it starts episode two yeah uh, so one disappeared somehow and anchor back then anchor it was anchor they couldn't figure out what happened to it but it, it got lost into the annals of time I was off by I was off by a year. June first of two thousand nineteen is when you put out episode two of the Blue Milk Cafe. Uh, it would have been end of May. I think yeah, I think I have it in my calendar that my very first episode was May twenty fifth. I think I did that on purpose. Ah, Star Wars Day. Yes. So yeah, I think it was two thousand would you say nineteen? It's it's shown me episode two was June first of two thousand nineteen. Okay, then yeah, I think it was May twenty 
five of 2019 was episode one, which, like you just mentioned, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened to it. I went back and forth with Anchor back then about what happened. I never deleted it out of my feed. And they they said, unfortunately, it could have happened during one of their updates that because other podcasts were complaining that they lost some of their episodes, too. So it's just something that happens on the technical side of this wonderful thing we call technology. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness for me, it was just one episode that I lost, so. Oh, tell me about the technology, because some of the long-timers I'm pulling to fill out my way back, also pulling from uh, past episodes of the cafe. There's a few. I don't know why Spotify's doing this, because there's some, like uh, Todd from WSTR started his offshoot with his boy Trent, Big T, Little T. Mm-hmm. He started that when season one showed up. And at first, I was pulling from some of the stuff that they did when he started Big T, Little T. But now Spotify won't let me go past 2020 for some reason. It huh. stopped me at episode 81, and it won't let me see anything huh. previous to that. It does that with a few. Um, yeah. Rule of Galaxy started about the time the Mando did, and it won't let me go past... 2021, same thing for Fanta Tracks, which has been going for a long, long time. It won't yeah. let me be on, be on January of this year, or last year. Huh. Yeah, it, it, it's, it'll let me do some things in Spotify with a lot of long-timers, and at other ones it won't. I don't understand why. Huh. Tell me technology. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Well, we, we, we can spend this week being frustrated about that stuff but yeah Yeah. we're about to close up here and all I gotta say is next week come back for chapter 10 the passenger and unless you have anything other to add RFP it's gonna be great gonna be great and as always until next time I have spoken give the evacuation code signal Thank you for stopping by the cafe. Life is all about passions. Thank you for lending me your ear while I shared all of mine. You can follow the Blue Milk Cafe on Twitter at that BMC Pod. You can follow the Facebook group, the BMC Pod. You can also email the Blue Milk Cafe, that BMC Pod at gmail.com. And remember, Blue Milk, it does a body good. Anyway. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. 
Red5Network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to Red5Network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network. Network.